Hey, this is Jim, pastor of Decided Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for listening. We hope the sermon you're about to hear just blesses your heart and really encourages you. If you don't mind, subscribe. That way you'll get instant notifications every time a sermon is uploaded. And by all means, if you're feeling led to give, click on the giving link and there'll be more directions to follow. God bless. Enjoy the message. Come on. Come on. Don't be shy. Everybody, uh, Derek is a new member. He just joined recently, and he's like, when we, you know how we, anybody been through membership class, we go through all the areas of service, and uh, he's like, I don't see pulpit committee up there. Nobody, nobody takes up your table. This is an incomplete list. And I'm like, well, we're all about creating ways for you to serve. This is Derek's gifting, so... Uh, thank you, buddy. I didn't want you to hurt yourself. Yeah, I, yeah. I know you've been working out. Exactly. That's right. That's right. I don't want to pull anything. I'm not a spring chicken anymore. So I, I can't be pulling anything right before I preach. So I need Derek in my life. You guys, it feels like church in here today. It feels like church. So why don't we, I, I just want to pray to uh, just set this service in motion And we'll get after it in just a moment. But let's pray. Jesus, we feel your spirit in this room today. We thank you for the worship. Thank you for uh, just the communion, observing the elements that have brought us near to you. And God, it says in your word, where two or three are gathered, there you are in our midst. And so we honor you as being a part of our service. We don't take that for granted. We are humbled by that. I pray that you would do your work. Use your word to glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here today. We're starting a brand new series, and I apologize in advance. My iPad keeps shutting off, so I just have to wing it. But um, it's, it's on low battery, so it keeps making me type in my password. But whatever. It's fine. Dive into five. This is our new sermon series today. And I love the water. I love summertime in South Carolina because you're either at the beach on a weekend or you go to the lake or you're on the river or you're at a pool somewhere. Or if you're lucky, diving off some kind of crazy high dive like this. That's, that's not for the faint of heart. But I love summertime. So what we're going to do is take the next five weeks. Hey, Serena, you joining me? Oh, you have a thing. Oh, cool. I don't, I don't even have a charger up here, but okay, cool. This is, oh, this is fun. Teamwork. Um, yeah, help me out. Derek, I think this falls under your pulpit. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) that's right. (laughs) Serena's already one up you, bro. Um, we're going to spend the next five weeks of the summer doing a little summer fun series on the minor prophets. The minor prophets. These are the little guys all packed in at the end. And um, I-, I love them because it's, it's as if Jesus is looking down. He's like, listen, guys, we got 15 minutes to get this thing to print. You get three chapters max, wrap it up. And they're all just jammed in here at the end. None of them are very long, but these guys are prophets. They are, they're like the runts of the litter packed in at the end. But man, they, they pack a punch. And I know Jonah. I know about Jonah and the whale. That's what, I got that one down. But what about Habakkuk? He deserves some credit. What about Haggai? What about Zephaniah? Right? Joel, Amos, Malachi. There's a bunch in there. And 
What I've learned in my, my, my short, very short prime 37 years, what I have learned is that you got to watch out for the small, scrappy, scrawny guys. I don't know about your family. I don't know about your family, but we, I have four kids, and um, Granger fits the bill of the runt of the litter. He's a, he's a smaller human. However, we have all learned in this church and my family not to underestimate Granger Maddox Reese. Like he is, he might be small. He might be, he might be uh, compact, but he is, he is fierce. He's a fierce, he's, he, he's aggressive both in his fighting and in his loving. If you've ever had a kiss from Granger, it's like full on mouth to mouth resuscitation. I mean, he could bring the dead back to life with that kind of kiss. So pray for his future wife. I don't know what that's, he's either going to have like 20 kids or zero. I'm not sure, but Joel, Joel, not in the sound booth, Joel, but Joel, the minor prophet Joel is no exception. This guy packs a punch. He has a lot to say. We don't know much about Joel. We don't know when he wrote the book. We don't know when he lived. We, knew, we know he was some point during the divided kingdom of Israel when you had the 10 tribes to the north and the two tribes in the south. We knew he lived in the divided kingdom of Israel, but we're not sure about anything else. However, his heart is clear. This thing is not charging. It's fine. His heart... His heart is clear, and his message, the message in Joel is timely for God's people today. So let's get it started. Let's read a little bit about it. So if you want to turn to Joel in your Bible, it's not the first minor prophet, so you got to get past Ezekiel, and you get past Daniel, and then you run into Hosea, which is a little long-winded, which is why some of the other guys didn't get as much time. We get to Joel. He's three chapters long, and here he goes. In verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. He's talking to God's people, church people. Give ear all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it and let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. What? What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. What in the world is Joel talking about? Let me give you a hint. Joel is like a miniature revelation. In fact, all of the minor prophets have a correlating church in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. So Joel is like this power-packed three-chapter-long revelation, and so he uses a lot of symbolism. He uses a lot of images and, and um, what's the word? Allegory? Is that a word? Allegory? It sounds strange coming out of my mouth. Allegories, yes. So what he's describing here in the nation of Israel is a time of extreme tribulation and torment. We're talking about a time not only of economic depression, but famine. There's no food. The ground has dried up. They can't even produce any crops. There's nothing to eat. There's nowhere to go. The enemy has come and destroyed, leveled the nation of Israel. And you know what Joel is really about? If we had to bring it all the way into our terminology, Joel, the book of Joel is about tone deaf. Christians. That's what the book is about. Tone-deaf Christians, people who, who are out of touch with reality. 
I bet at some point in your life you've come across some, maybe it's a maybe it's a, another Christ follower, maybe it's a uh, you've been at a previous church, not this one of course, but a previous church or maybe another pastor and you've thought to yourself listening to him, I have no clue what he's talking about. I don't know. I don't, I don't get it. This is not relevant to me. I have no idea. He's he's way too up here. He's over my head. Nothing about this makes sense in my life. In fact, as soon as this guy would shut up, I can go out of here. I got to take the kids to practice. I got to do a grocery pickup. I got to get home, make something for dinner, pick up the kids, do a doctor's, uh, schedule a doctor's appointment, get ready for the next day. And you know what I'm talking about? That, that feeling when a church, a message, a pastor, a conversation, it's like, I don't, I don't, the soteriological implications of imputed righteousness, I I got nothing. I got nothing. I don't know. That doesn't, that doesn't translate from my Monday through Friday. And so Joel is specifically addressing that. He's writing to a nation. He's writing to a church who had become tone deaf. They were out of touch. So a couple of points from Joel. Number one, we find immediately in verses five through seven, Guess what? These people were unconscious with entertainment. This church, these church leaders, these church people, God's people, they were, they were tone deaf because they were unconscious with entertainment. I do have the points up here. They're going to be up there, but let's just read five through seven. It says, awake you drunkards and weep and wail, all you drinkers of wine. He's talking to church people. Brandon said, amen, from the Episcopalian church, drinkers of wine. Because of the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth, for a nation has come against my land. Powerful and beyond number, its teeth are lion's teeth. It has fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vine. My people we're talking about. You've laid waste to my people. You've splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it down. Their branches are made white. What Joel is describing is a desolate nation because its leaders were unconscious with entertainment. They had given themselves over to pleasure. They had given themselves over to a lifestyle of, well, if it doesn't feel good to me, then I'm not going to do it. Why do you come to church, by the way? Do you come to church to get fed or do you come to church to be entertained? How do you spend your weekends? Are your weekends full of, well, I'm going to do as, I'm going to pack as much into my schedule as can physically make me feel happy. And then I'll show up on Sunday and do the thing and Jesus will be number one again and might make it till Tuesday afternoon when he slips to third or fourth or fifth. These church leaders were unconscious with entertainment. That tells me a couple of things. Number one, they were unprepared to deal with the brokenness around them. But even if they had wanted to help, they were unavailable. Unavailable because of, their, because of their sick state, because of their unhealthy state. That even if this church, even if these people of God wanted to address the brokenness around them in their community, they, they weren't equipped to. They were drunk. They were out of their mind. They were already sick themselves. They were already unhealthy themselves with entertainment. Number two, that tells me they were unaccountable. 
They didn't have anybody checking them on this. And as much as I would love to throw on a Gucci belt and rock my Versace handbag and fly on my private jet and build a mansion, that's not being accountable. That's not stewarding God's resources. So you got to ask yourself, what kind of churches in our day and age are clearly unconscious with entertainment? I remember a few years ago, a family member got married and I approached the church they were getting married in. And I'll never forget the sinking feeling I got in my gut when I walked up the steps. Don't get me wrong, it was beautiful, but it was like too beautiful. There's golden statues in every window. The chandeliers were probably, I mean, there was like a chandelier all the way down the aisle. They'll probably cost more than my house. And there, there were just statues set up everywhere. Everything was ornate. Even the, even the woodwork was just so intricate and detailed. And, and here's what I know. I can't judge a person's heart. So whoever built that church might've been doing it for the glory of God to the best of their ability. But I have to ask myself, how much is too much? I can't judge a person's heart, but at what point do we say, I think we could probably go with the sterling silver over the gold and feed a little homeless people on the weekend. You know what I mean? I, I, maybe, maybe one less statue and let's build a habitat for humanity. I mean, I don't know. But at what point, is it be, at what point does the church become unconscious with entertainment? I'm talking about celebrity pastors. I'm talking about book deals. I'm talking about making it all about the name of the church and not the God who maybe doesn't inhabit that church anymore. Unconscious with Joel is talking about tone deaf Christians. Have we become unconscious with entertainment? Number two, we move on down into the passage. It, it describes this destruction starting in verse 10. The fields are destroyed. The ground mourns. It has nothing to offer. The wine dries up. The oil languishes. Be ashamed, O tillers of the soil. These farmers were embarrassed. They, they, they wanted to help feed the nation, but they couldn't. Wail, O vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field has been perished. The vine dries up, the fig tree languishes, pomegranate, palm, and apple. All the trees of the field are dried up, and gladness dries up from the children of man. The children of man describes the nation itself, not the people of God. Joel has shifted from talking about church people to talking about those outside the church. And he's saying, joy and gladness are gone. We're talking about a people who is experiencing mourning and, and brokenness beyond belief. This isn't just a recession. This is a depression. There's nothing to eat. And these aren't the good tithing family members of decided church. These are the people outside the church who may be ridicule the church people who maybe want nothing to do with God. Maybe these are the folks who are the enemies of the move of God. And God is saying, you know what a sign is of tone deaf Christians? You know how to, how to tell? Unbothered by brokenness. Unbothered by broken. I mean, they had a whole nation around them that was broken. They were unbothered. They were unfazed by the famine. They did not see fit to be inconvenienced to do anything about the situation. I remember a few months ago, we talked about this topic of your inconvenience margin. We all have a level of comfort to which we will be inconvenienced. Remember that sermon from a while ago? 
I wonder if we revisited that topic. I wonder if it's time again to stretch our inconvenience margin. Are you bothered by the brokenness around you? A family falling apart, a marriage on the rocks, somebody who's being displaced, somebody in the middle of a major life change, career change, somebody who's gotten a bad diagnosis, somebody who's just had sickness after sickness after sickness. Are you bothered by brokenness? And no, 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 I'm not talking about within the church. That's a whole nother point. I'm talking about outside, those who mock you, those who curse the name of God, those who are against God's people. Are you bothered by their brokenness? Or are you only friends with people who compliment your outfit? It's, that's, that takes no effort. It's easy to be friends with people who compliment you and build you up, church, fellow church people. What about those who don't really prefer you at work? Are you bothered by their brokenness? Joel says it, not me. He says the sign of a tone deaf Christian is you're, you're unbothered by brokenness. Moving on, we got to keep going. Number three, we talk about this idea of within the church. This is where it gets convicting, starting in verse 13. He calls out the church leaders. He calls out the pastor. This is what he says, put on sackcloth and lament, O priest. Can't remember the last time I've done that. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Go and pass the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God, because the grain offering, we're talking about food within the house of God now. We're talking about the temperature of within the church. Now he says, the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Nobody's being spiritually fed in this church. It goes on to say, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders, all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. This is an emergency. This is an emergency. And tone deaf Christians, here's how it plays out within the church. We're unaware of the urgent. We're unaware that there's nothing going on in here, that this is a spiritually dead place of worship. He says, alas for the day, verse 15, for the day of the Lord is near. It's near. Judgment is coming. The destruction from the Almighty, it comes. Is not the food cut off? That's the word of God before our eyes. Joy and gladness from the house of God. That's worship. Then he goes on to talk about the seed represents new believers in Christ. They're not being discipled. Joel's saying, you want to know if you're a tone-deaf Christian in a tone-deaf church? How aware of the urgent are you? Are you familiar with Forever. I hope that every Sunday we have eternity in view at Decided Church. I hope every day, every moment of my life, I'm aware, extremely aware that this life doesn't last forever. And there's one of two places that every single person goes. You either have a relationship because Jesus reached down and saved you or you have not accepted him. And those are the two options. Are we aware of the urgent? Are we bold in sharing our testimony? Is there food in this house? How broken are we? How, how often do we lean into the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Is there food in this house? Are we aware of the urgent? You know what this looks like in real time? This looks like churches with empty altars. Nobody's moved. It's as if the preacher gets up to pray the last prayer and says, nobody move. Everybody stay still. We cannot risk it allowing the Holy Spirit to move, right? 
these are places where it's all a really nice, maybe some good points, but it's all self-help sermons. It's all self-motivation talks and none of it's scripturally based. This is how it plays out in real time in real churches today. Unaware of the urgent. These are preachers and pastors who never talk about hell. The fire's hot there. Heaven is real. These are preachers and pastors and churches who never, never offer an altar call, an invitation. The gospel doesn't go out. These are places of, of worship where it's not about evangelism. It's all about how can you feel good and you feel good. And here's three steps to have a great week. And let me, let me motivate your Monday a little bit. Number four, how to know you're a tone-deaf Christian. We're going to move to chapter two. He describes the judgment day of the Lord. I encourage you to read the beginning of chapter two because I don't know about you. I put in my Bible, this is us. Like when I read this description of the great and mighty army of God riding down from heaven to judge the nations, I'm one of them. I think I find myself right there between verse four and verse five. So if you want inspired, if you want a little self-help motivation, read chapter two. You're part of the day of the Lord. You're a warrior riding with Christ's army. So, but moving to the middle to the end of chapter two, start in verse 12, how to know you're tone deaf. Look at God's call. Look at God's plea to this nation. Yet even now declares the Lord. This is the heart of God. We just sang about. I want to move your heart, God. This is this what moves his heart. Watch this. It even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. You want to move the heart of God? Move to him. You want God to move? Move to him. Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts, not your garments. In other words, don't play games. Don't do it for the look of it. God's saying, I can read you like a book. Thank you, Eddie. I'm going to come down there and sit. I'm going to sit beside you and preach. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful. This church was unconvinced. Here's, here's what I know. A church that's tone deaf has a skewed view of God. This passage tells me that God at his core, God within his character is merciful and gracious. When we become a tone-deaf church, we turn God into a bully with a club, ready to beat you upside the head, ready to pass out judgment like we do. In fact, we give God lessons on how to judge Christians. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger. Does this describe the church? It should. Gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him. Now God's getting Pentecostal on us, and he's saying, you want to know if you're a tone-deaf Christian? You're unrehearsed at repentance. You don't even know how to do it. You don't even know what it feels like to be convicted by the Holy Spirit anymore. You're unrehearsed at repentance. So what if I did move? You wouldn't even be aware of it. I want to move in your nation. I want to relent from disaster. I want to call people unto myself. But you wouldn't even know what that feels like or sounds like or looks like because you are so far away. You're so tone deaf. You are so out of touch with reality. Unrehearsed 
at repentance. You know why? Repentance is not a weird word. It's not a scary word. Repentance just means coming back home where you belong. Think of the prodigal son, that the life of the prodigal son coming back home to his father. That's repentance. It's just coming to the realization. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of action. It's just saying, dude, I got this whole thing wrong. I think I'm better off going home to dad. Repentance is that is, is turning your heart back once again to your father, knowing that's where you belong. Are you rehearsed at that? Are you disciplined at that? If I'm honest, I need to repent every 15 minutes. And I've been saved for well over 30 years. I got saved as a kid, and I'm thankful for that, six or seven years old. But even walking with God for 30 years, reading his word, I need to repent more often as I get older. I need to get rehearsed at what that feels like. Because you know what happens when I practice repentance? I'm less judgy. When I see you living your life, I'm like, dude, I was at the altar five minutes ago. It's okay. You got it, sister. I was just at that altar five minutes ago. You're all right. Rehearsed at repentance. Number five, there's so many, but I'm just going to do five. This is the last one in chapter three. The, the rest of chapter two describes how once you do return to the Lord, your old men are going to have dreams. Your young men are going to have visions. Your young women are going to prophesy. It's a beautiful passage that talks about the latter rain and how God's spirit is more evident when we get more used to repentance. Fathom that. But then chapter three comes and it talks about the final judgment when victory is secured, when God has his rule and reign over the hearts of all men. And we have a part to play. But tone deaf churches are uninspired by their purpose. People who are out of touch with reality are uninspired by their calling. They're, maybe they're unconvinced of their calling. This is what it says in chapter 3, starting in verse 9. You've heard us read about this because it kind of goes along with our theme this year. Proclaim this among the nations. What? Consecrate for war. Stir up the mighty men. Where are the men at? Thank you, Dylan, for your sermon last week on fatherhood and husbands and being a dad. Hey, a church that's tone deaf has no male leadership. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a warrior. Hey, listen, there's a time to repurpose from work to war. There's a time to repurpose from tool to trench. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations. Gather yourselves there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Are we going to send any? Is decided church going to have a representation on the battlefield? Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations stir themselves up and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all surrounding nations. And what I know is that we're part of that. We're part of the future ruling and reigning over the nations as children of God. But this church in Joel's time was uninspired by that purpose. They were tone deaf. They were out of touch. They read things like this about the day of the Lord. They read things about the final victory, and it didn't move them. There, there's no passion there there's, because there's no vision. There's no unity. And in real time, these are churches who don't have a mission-minded purpose. They're not after a goal. When they treat Christianity more like a lifestyle magazine than a mission, 
I'm, I'm born and raised right here in Irmo. I've lived here my whole life. I am, as, I am as red clay as it gets all the way deep down in my soul. But even though I'm from here, the Bible says I've been sent into Irmo. It reminds me of John 17 when Jesus is praying to the Father and he says, they're going to be in the world. They're not of the world, but they're in the world. And he says, God, I pray that you don't take them out of the world. I want you to protect them from the devil. But as you sent me into the world, so send I them into the world. We cannot be sent into the world and be tone deaf at the same time. We cannot be on mission as a church and be out of touch with reality. Joel says, you want to live in context? Do you want to live in the world, but not of it? Do you want to be effective? Do you want to touch people? Do you want to be in tune with your father and with those around you? Here's what you got to do. Just flip that list around. Just take that whole list and take the UN off the front. You want to live in context? Do you want to live in the world, but not of it? Be conscious of your entertainment. Be bothered by brokenness. Be aware of the urgent. Be rehearsed at repentance. Be inspired by your purpose. We went to a conference last week, so thank you for letting us go and have a week off. Thank you again to Dylan and the leaders for representing well and keeping the ship afloat. However, we were at this conference. There's about 4,000 other pastors, leaders, elders, worship leaders. Just, if you're in full-time ministry, you were probably at this conference. About 4,000 of us packed into an arena. All looked the same. We all dressed the same. We all knew the same Christian songs. And don't get me wrong, it was a beautiful conference. The lights, the programming, the production, the sound. I mean, it was the speakers. Let me tell you something. It was next level. It was awesome to get poured into and to be filled up. But I looked at my wife almost, I think it was the very first session. I looked at her. I leaned over and I said, this is not reality. This isn't real. In other words, this is great. There's nothing wrong with spending time with God's people. And we may not be 4,000 strong, but we're pretty awesome. And we have pretty great worship. And we have pretty great kids programming and pretty good coffee and pretty great hospitality team outside. But what I'm saying is, this is not reality if it does not matter out those due doors. It's, it's not real. This is not where the rubber meets. This is a good pep talk. This is where we get fed. This is where food is on the table and we nourish our souls and we get closer to God. But in order for us to not be tone deaf, we walk out of those doors into our real world where it makes a difference. Where we're supposed to be salt and light, where we're supposed to be in the world, but not of it. Tone deaf Christians. I pray that you were able to write down that list and talk about what area. We all have something to work on here. That's what I do know. At least one of these points, one of these passages from Joel ought to prick us a little bit. But I can't help but step away from Joel and, and think about our theme for the year and how Joel echoes that theme of awake, O sleeper, rise up, warrior, be inspired by your purpose. We are a church on a mission for our community. 
There's no one else coming. God's not sending another decided church in case we don't get the job done or it's a C plus at best. We're it. And so we have to make sure that while we're here and while this feels good and while we rub shoulders and get built up and talk to each other that we are on mission that when we leave out of here, the real world sets in. I was inspired by Nick Beach. He might be outside. He might be here, actually. But while he was praying, he was talking about how God is not just the God of Sunday. God didn't just come and meet us here. That, that we, we can have just as powerful encounter with God Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It's not just all about Sunday. Let's not be a tone-deaf church. Let's not be tone-deaf Christians. And the song that we're about to sing in closing is a beautiful picture of what our hearts should be like. It's a song about inviting someone who's broken, who has all the pieces of their life in a mess. And, and the song describes how you can take all that, all that baggage, all that weight, all that shame, all that guilt, let's just take it to Jesus together. And the song describes how, how, how you bring somebody to the feet of Jesus and let him fix, let him repair, let him build back up. In order to be that person, in order to be that friend who brings somebody else to Jesus, we got to be in touch with reality. We can't be tone deaf any longer. Listen, here's what I know. The day of the Lord, Joel says it, the day of the Lord's coming. Judgment is upon us. This is not reality. Eternity awaits forever. It has not even yet begun. And so while I live this life, while I'm on mission at Decided Church in Irmo, I got to be passionate about bringing other people to Jesus because who knows whether God will relent and turn from his disaster. Joel, in fact, Joel chapter 2, verse 32 says this. You thought it was in Romans, but it starts in Joel. It says, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Joel 2.32. Let's pray. Jesus, with every head bowed, every eye closed, we want to offer ourselves to you once again. God, we got to get rehearsed and disciplined at this repentance thing. We have to protect our hearts from being tone deaf, protect our hearts from being entertainment driven, protect our hearts from the easiness that it is to be unbothered by people's mess and problems and brokenness. You gotta pray that today in, in, your own, in your own unique way that you would take us out of our echo chambers. I pray that you would peel back the bubble wrap that we are so obsessed with and that we would get around people then we evaluate our circles, who we spend time with, who we rub shoulders with, that we would find lost people everywhere, that we would find broken people everywhere, that we would, as you did so beautifully, walk slowly through the crowd. Every time you were around a crowd, you took time to see the needs. And so I pray that Decided Church would not just be a lifestyle, but that we would be on mission. God, break our hearts for what breaks yours. Help us to bring others with us. Hey, come on, let's, let's take that to Jesus together. And God, I 
pray just for a moment with every head bowed, every eye closed, that maybe today is your day of salvation. Maybe you have thought about God as just the mean guy in the sky, ready to take you out. That you felt that you've crossed the line one too many times and he's probably like us and his patience is wearing thin. But God says, he's full of mercy, full of graciousness. Who knows whether he will relent when we turn to him. And what I do know is that when we call upon the name of Jesus, we will be saved. So I pray with everybody in their own space with God. No one's looking around. Nobody's going to call you out. Nobody's going to embarrass you just right where you are. I pray that if that's you today, you would say something like this, God, I know I'm a sinner. I'm, I am one of those broken people. And yes, I've been ignored by the church. Yes, I've been overlooked before. My needs haven't been met, and I kind of interpreted that upon you, that you, you, you don't care. You're not involved. But God, I see today from the book of Joel that you are a gracious and merciful God. You sent your son to take my place. I trust in him as my savior. Thank you for shedding your blood, dying and raising from the grave the third day. Come into my life. Change me. Make me brand new. I'm coming home. I'm repenting, which means I'm coming back home where I belong. I'm calling upon your name. God, save me. If that's you today, could I just ask that you slip up your hand? No one's looking around. Nobody's going to call you out. But if you pray to receive Jesus, I want to pray for you and celebrate you. Is there anybody like that today who would say, yep, that's me. I'm coming back home to my Savior. God, I pray for this church body that we would do business with you during this last song. I pray that at any point during that conviction that we would not be a dried up church, but that our altars would be full, that life change would be happening, that discipleship and growth and humility before you would be commonplace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.